Welcome to this episode of Reddit Guy. The subreddit we will listen to today is called r slash no sleep. Our first post of this episode comes from Bone Chillin and it's titled A Strange Symptom. I live in a small town in northern Michigan. There really isn't very much to do, except for throwing rocks at the big fir trees around our town, late night trips to the dollar store, and hiking. Now, I don't really like hiking, but every time I meet a new girl, which is seldom as my town has quite a small population, I take her hiking. Girls think it's so romantic and intimate. It's a lot easier to get him to put out that way. My senior year of high school, I was going out with this girl Shirley. Surely Shirley, is what my friends and I called her, because if you took her out, she'd surely put out on the first date. It was a crisp fall day, right before snowfall, so Shirley wore my deep maroon varsity jacket and twirled her big red curls while she giggled at my quips. We played verbal chess while we jested on the likes of our graduating class and where they would all end up. Shirley ended the conversation with a curt, pray for the class of 14, all right Roy. I let out a chuckle and turned to reply when I heard something strange. It was the sound of a man coughing while also barreling down the wooded path. Let me describe just where Shirley and I were at. It was a very well-used hiking trail on the edge of town that backed up to a few of the local farms. One of the families had actually donated the land to the county as an act of altruism. Despite this, it was very desolate and nothing could be seen, save for the immense thicket of blood orange fall leaves, bright yellow hues, and bursting piles of discarded burgundy leaves, ready for crunching. The man before us approached rapidly, so I grabbed Shirley and pulled her into the trees. As I did, the man tripped and fell right where we'd been standing. He wore hunter's clothing, that camouflage that was pictures of trees printed onto it, to be photorealistic. A portly thing, the man squealed and heaved as his pustule-covered face turned blue as the depths of Lake Michigan. He was choking. We have to help him. Shirley cried. No. What if he's- He could be contagious. I said, holding her tighter so she couldn't slip away. We have to do something, Roy. She said, squirming against me, desperate to get away. I panicked, not wanting to watch this man die in front of me, but also not wanting to end up like him. I let go of Shirley. I wish I could go back and change things. I would have never let her go. She ran over to him and began applying the Heimlich maneuver, while his face still strained and sweat poured down his fat face. I don't even think she was doing it right, not that it would have mattered. I made my way further from them and pulled out my phone to call 911, but dropped it when I saw something coming out of his mouth. A long, bloodied branch ripped out of his mouth and planted itself into the ground before him and Shirley. She screamed and jolted back, but as she did, another branch burst from the man's spine and shot into her agape mouth. Now Shirley was choking and crying, and her big brown eyes looked to me, red and bulging. I attempted to flee, but in doing so I slipped and fell right on my ass. I noticed then that I had pissed myself. I looked at the two of them, the man face down in the dirt, with a massive tree sprouting from his freshly dead corpse. Then there was Shirley. It looked like she had been pulled into the roots of this tree as I could see her being pulled into the ground. The last thing I saw of her was her hand reaching up from the dirt before being covered by a gnarled root. I don't know why it didn't take me. Maybe I just hadn't gotten close enough, or maybe it was something else. I guess I'll never really know. Despite this, I sat there and cried, too afraid to move. You couldn't tell there'd been any people there before, just one big tree in the middle of the trail. It was clearly some kind of spruce, except it had blood red bark like no tree I'd ever seen. This spruce would put a California redwood to shame. Eventually I got up, and ran straight to my truck, where I drove like a madman to the police station. 
When I got there, a madman is what I looked like indeed. It didn't help that I smelled like a public restroom, either. I spent the night in the drunk tank, and then made my way to my truck. Across the road was Flynn's lumberyard, and over there I saw Gabriel Jameson hawking a batch of lumber in. There are two things important about this, friends. Gabriel Jameson was the one who donated that land. And the lumber was that of a blood-red spruce. The next post from Boring Old Mum is titled The Cursed Dollhouse. We were almost done cleaning our new home, only the attic was left. We were putting it off till there was nothing else left to do. Attics creeped us both out. After an hour of coughing lungsful of dust, inhaling random bugs into our mouth, spiders tickling our neck, webs hanging from our clothes we were completely on edge. So when his fingers brushed my hand, jumping four feet into the air was a natural outcome. Losing my balance I crashed into the side and the plaster gave way. I landed into a well-hidden cubbyhole. Hands on our hips we surveyed the belongings of the time capsule we had inadvertently opened. Things in the cubbyhole were well-preserved untouched by the hands of time. There were trinkets but the main attraction was a pristine dollhouse, an exact replica of the house we were in. We peered inside to see two dolls peering back at us from the attic. They looked a bit like us, what are the chances we thought? We brought it down to the kitchen, it was too beautiful to be left in the attic. Exhausted we slept as soon as our heads hit the pillow. When I came down the next morning my husband was hunched over the dollhouse. I checked over his shoulder to see a small baby doll, in a pink gown looking up at us and the two older dolls were lying in a heap in the kitchen. That wasn't there before, I exclaimed. He turned so fast that we both crashed onto the floor all arms and legs. That is when the doorbell chimed. We opened the door to a little girl in a pink gown, she looked like the baby doll. We looked at each other, did the dollhouse foreshadow this? We were being silly right. Mama Papa I am back the little girl said. We tried explaining we weren't her mom and dad but she just hugged me and well she was adorable. I was very happy to play mom to Gia but my husband had doubts. One day while she slept we had our first argument. Who is she? Where did she come from? He asked. How does it matter? We wanted a kid and there she is. Don't you just love her? I asked. No, I don't. This whole situation is creepy. He huffed, turned and slept. He didn't come down the next day. While I made lunch Gia played with the dollhouse. I gasped when I saw her throw the male doll from the roof. The doll's leg bent at an awkward angle. Same instant I heard my husband shout. I ran out to see him clutching his leg as he wreathed in pain. His leg was broken. He later told me he felt as if a hand plucked him from the balcony and threw him off it. I was very stressed taking care of everything on my own so when Gia broke my grandmother's urn I shouted at her. She looked at me angrily, her eyes dilating into black discs before she ran off. Immediately feeling guilty and afraid I ran after her. She turned and grinned at me as she taped a toy cleaver to the male doll's hand and walked him down to the kitchen. Sam. Run, my husband's pained voice called out from behind me. There he stood as if propelled by a force, arm swinging a cleaver, broken leg supporting his twisted frame as he tried to fight whatever it was. It was too strong and he lunged towards me, I remember screaming and I ran towards the old broom closet. I just managed to close it as he pounded the door. I switched on the bulb in the dank, cramped closet as I rocked on my haunches that's when I saw it, scribbled behind the frame was a note. Hide the cursed indestructible dollhouse in the cubbyhole and cover it well on a moonless night. That is the only way to stop Gia. Save yourself. The next post from a clockwork monkey is titled I just wanted to swim. Dot. I didn't know how I got to the beach. 
I could have sworn I was at home or at the shops or somewhere. But, the sun kissed my face. The waves lapped gently against the shore, and oh my, how the people looked like they were having so much fun. A few people stood watching me with concern. They shouldn't be. I'm 87 years old. Far older than any of them. I have more experience with life and know better. Shrugging their pity off, I turned back to the waves. Something was niggling in my mind. Something I had forgotten. When I looked, I understood what. I had forgotten my bathers. Never mind, I'll just go in my undies. It was the beach after all. The sun would dry my clothes when I came out. Something tugged my shoulder when I pulled off my top. The force trapped an arm. I pulled again. My head popped free and then the strangest thing happened. My shirt came up and over sinking back down to my shoulder. I pulled it off with more force, stumbling forward with the momentum. I was ready to confront my attack but my anger diluted when no one was there. I didn't know what was happening but nothing was going to stop me from enjoying the water. As quickly as my old hand allowed, I pulled off my trousers, socks and shoes. Just a few steps and the waves would tickle my feet. But as I took a step the invisible force pulled me back. I snapped and waved my arms, dislodging the force. The sounds of kids playing and the waves crashing was delightful. I took a step and felt the caress of warm water. It was blissful. I went to dive in, but the funniest thing happened. I hit my head on the hard floor. Slightly stunned, I got up feeling the welt on my head. I was annoyed at the waves receding back. But I was old, and wise. I took five big steps and jumped. The impact split my head. My hands came away bloody. Disoriented I stood, readying to conquer the ocean. The force came back. I struggled to move. My arms pinned to my sides. The shirt I had left on the beach was suddenly around my neck again. I panicked. Flung my arms wildly. Dad. Stop. I turned around to a middle-aged man holding my wrist. Get off me. I shouted. I'm not your dad. I ran to the sea and threw myself in. A nasty gash let ribbons of blood run down my face. My head throbbed as I turned back to the pleading man. Dad. David. My son looked on worriedly. I couldn't believe it was him. He looked older than I remembered. The shopping aisle was full of concerned people. A lady crouched by my side, holding a cloth to my head. I was overwhelmed with terror. Where am I? I thought I was at the beach. It dawned on me that I had had another attack. I knew fear like never before, or did I fear like this the last time? My hands shook. My heart raced. The fog was slowly fading away. My mind was slipping. I knew that, but I am 87 years old, I might add, and the beach looks lovely today. The next post from Y2 Just Dog is titled My parents let my friend and I go night skiing on our own. Things did not go as expected. Dot. The night had arrived. My parents were finally letting my friend Zach and I go night skiing. They were even planning to hang out at the lodge while we went off on our own. I was bubbling with excitement as I created distance from them and made my way to the chairlift with my best friend. What I immediately found strange though was everyone in line was a kid just like us. No adults other than the chairlift operator. As we hopped off the lift at the top of the mountain, we made our way straight to a backside beginner's run. The spotlight above illuminated the powder and the dozen or so moving dots of children out and about making their way down. After about 10 seconds through our way down the slope, the spotlights shut off. Complete darkness. Zach and I stopped and yelled for one of the workers to turn the lights back on. They never did. Instead, our ears latched onto the sound of something animalistic trudging its way through the snow. Heavy crunchy steps in front of us. Labored wheezing. And then the cries of a kid in front of us. 
The cries faded away after a few seconds. We figured a coyote must have attacked him. I remembered my mini flashlight I had tucked away in my jacket pocket. I pulled it out and swirled it around, looking for the kid who was screaming. The light landed on an arm followed by a leg followed by a bloody head. If I didn't have Zach by my side, I would have passed out on the spot. But he was braver than me, so I trusted him as someone who could help us figure a way out of this horrifying situation. Another kid wailed in the distance and then another. My flashlight spotted a huge shadow leaping across the snow. We were still relatively close to the top of the mountain. Our plan was to take our skis off and walk back to the top, and then to take the chairlift back to the base of the mountain where our parents were. Only problem was the chairlift operator at the top did not let us ride. He kicked us back down the slope, and we tumbled for a bit before colliding with one of the mauled bodies. At that point, I felt like my life would be ending that night. Zach and I sat up and surveyed the mountain. The enormous shadow headed for us. I decided to play dead. I turned on my stomach and buried my face in the snow. Zach had other plans though. He stood face to face with the creature. The creature growled and pummeled Zach. I could hear gurgling noises coming from Zach as he was pressed into the snow just to my right. I just hope his pain was short-lived before he passed. I remained still, afraid to even hint at moving any part of my body. I stayed put for another hour or so when the sounds of snowmobiles passing me by caught my ear. I slowly turned around and sat up. At the base of the slope, a group of adults were huddled together. A few of them held torches. The group of adults looked to the right in unison, as the creature approached. It was twice as tall as them, and from where I sat, it looked like it was covered in white fur. The creature handed them bottles filled with a bright green liquid. After a minute or two, I realized my parents were amongst the group. Confused and alarmed by their comfort level being in the presence of the beast, I said nothing. I sat there silently and watched them conduct their business. When they hopped back on the snowmobiles and rode back up, I played dead again. After some time passed, I decided I would attempt to escape. I could hear the beast picking up remains near the bottom of the slope and carrying them over to some pile he was building. I began to crawl back to the top of the slope. I made it up unnoticed and quietly slid my way back down the other side of the mountain. The resort was empty, not one car in the lot. I broke inside the lodge and found a landline. The authorities picked me up and drove me home. When my parents gave me the deer in the headlights look at the sight of me alive, my suspicions were confirmed. I knew they had sent me to the beast to be killed. A large patrol went to inspect the mountain, while a policeman stayed behind with me and my parents. Apparently, the beast was not able to feed on all the remains in time. When a couple of dead bodies were spotted in the snow, the arrests began. My parents confessed. They claimed the beast had an elixir that would grant them immortality. And that to get the elixir, they had to sacrifice their own children. The authorities did not care. My parents were locked up for good. The ski resort shut down for a few months while a group of hunters tried to lure the beast out from wherever it was hiding. It never emerged. The next post from my ex-flame she is titled I met God, once. Dot. Memory is a fickle thing. It twists and turns and corrupts, changing others, ruining and breaking them. It can heal yet it can kill you, slowly and easily until you are nothing more than a husk of what you were. It can be your salvation, if you convince yourself it's real, or, ultimately, it can be your greatest nightmare. Some think there is a God, a ruler above, all-powerful and all-knowing and all-seeing, someone that will save them in times of need. A kind creature, a savior, no, that is all fake. I saw him, once, back when I was eager and young and happy and free. 
I worshipped him, not knowing what he truly was. I can't remember it now, he took my ability to remember from me, leaving me as a shell who can't even recall the voice or touch of his own mother. Now my dreams and waking moments are spent seeing him. My memory is corrupted. Mind changed and incinerated and burned with him, only him. He wished for me to be this way and now I am. I met him in the forest. I can't remember where or when. I can't remember what the trees looked like or what I was wearing or how I even looked like. I only remember being in the woods, praying and singing songs prophesying his return. How foolish I was. I remember stopping my prayers suddenly, hearing noises in the greenwood, and like the curious lamb I was, I followed them, picking through the shrubbery and trees and stumbling upon a clearing. It was beautiful. I vaguely remember that. Full of flowers and grass and life and I, the inquisitive and wild creature that I once was, bravely walked through it. I stopped a couple of steps in, head cocked to the side as I noticed a large, hulking figure covered in an off-white sheet in the middle. The figure was swaying, left, right, left, right. I, not sensing or maybe not caring of the danger, walked towards it and ripped the sheet off. The figure seemed to fall and I sprang back on cultish limbs, transfixed and horrified and curious. It was humanoid, human-like but not, a strange mix of long limbs and even longer fingers and joints and rot to be human. It was spoilt, tainted and flyblown, sharp with protruding bones that strained across the decaying body. Its chest, skeletal and grey and unearthly, shook with every rattling breath and it twitched and convulsed and jerked and shuddered in every direction. I watched, spellbound and mesmerised as it breathed, unable to tear my gaze away from it. I called out to it, shouting and asking what it was, the greatest mistake of my now never-ending existence. I remember it slowly lifting up its head, skull ivory yellow and eyes white and gleaming. I remember it focusing on me, distorted, split irises resting on my body as it moved its head to one side. I edged back, scared now but oh so curious, always so curious. A yellowed, blackened and gnarled hand spasmed, almost following after me, fingers shivering and bending and breaking and fracturing. The thing moved, standing up on impossibly long and gaunt limbs that nearly failed to support its weight and taking one trembling step towards me. It then opened its mouth, a long, jagged line, in place where lips and teeth and skin should be, and a black emptiness now remained. Come here, child. It rasped out, voice carrying across the now silent, wind-blown clearing as it took another step, stronger and more sure of itself now. I didn't respond then. I couldn't. I was frozen and immobile and at its mercy. Another step and it was two feet away from me, back hunched and white eyes staring, staring, staring. It lifted its horrid hand again and rested it across my cheek, deathly cold and almost loving if not for the sharp nails that punctured my skin and tore into my face. It moved its head closer, now nose to nose and grinned, having more teeth than ever humanly possible that glistened white yellow black with its saliva. I trembled, both in fear and sick amazement as it stood above me, unable and unwilling to comprehend what was happening. I remember it grinning, wide and unchained, as its nails tore into my face. I remember the putrid mouth opening and revealing rows and rows and rows of teeth that seemed to stretch on for eternity, not seeming to have an end. I am God, it whispered to me and I believed it. I remember shutting my eyes and praying as its mouth opened even wider and it moved closer. I remember forcing my eyes closed as its teeth bit into my flesh, tearing the skin and muscle of my bones. It was torture, the worst pain I've ever experienced. I remember that. I woke up in the abyss. Dark and never-ending. I could not recall who or what I was, I could only remember God or whatever that gross imitation of him was. 
An eternity has passed yet I still remember its eyes. They haunt me. They follow me. It still watches. He never left. The next post from ThamsZZ is titled I've been talking to my pentagram for four years. Today, it spoke back to me. My friends and I made a pentagram in my basement years ago. It was a small party, and I thought it would be fun or even funny to draw one with soot from a log in the fire pit. We were drunk, and just played silly games around it and chanted to it, candles and all. After the party, I'll admit that I was too lazy to clean it up, and I just kind of left it. Well, I didn't just leave it. Sometimes I talked to it. I told it about my day. I told it about my friends, people or media that pissed me off, or about my love interests. I would tell it my desires, my hopes, and my fears. My PC rig, as well as my console is in the basement, so naturally I'm down there a lot, for hours before bed. My basement is split into two rooms, by a gnarly wall that has holes and a door space with no door. One side is mine, carpeted and nice, and one side is basically all cement, with old items, the boiler, electric stuff and wood for the fireplace, and obviously my pentagram in the corner. There is only a single hanging light in the middle of that side of the basement, so my dad has either not seen it or doesn't give a shit. I'll admit, I know it's a bad idea to keep a pentagram in my home, and to talk to it is worse, but in a way, it's meditative. I'll put the light on, or light a candle, and just talk to it. It spoke back to me today. It's around 2 in the morning now, but at around 12, I got off battlefield and walked into the other side of the basement. I lit a candle and just spoke to it as I would, this time though about fire. How I didn't understand how fire can be so interesting and calming, yet so destructive in nature. I was sitting down beside it, scrolling through my phone when I felt a slight wind. The candle wobbled, and went out. Obviously, I turned on my phone's flashlight, and was entranced on the smoke rising from the candle. The smoke was being pushed by a slight wind, of which came from the other side of the room. I thought, maybe the window. I looked to the other side of the room to see pure darkness. I couldn't make out a single object up against the cement wall, it looked as if it could go on forever. I shined my light towards it, and saw absolutely nothing. It was almost as if my flashlight was pointing towards the sky illuminating the floor around me but absolutely useless towards the wall. I'll be honest, even for a kid with a pentagram in the basement, I was scared stiff. I didn't blink. I didn't dare breathe loudly. I was as stiff as a tree, staring into the silent abyss. After what felt like a minute, I heard a voice. The voice was quiet, not a whisper, but it sounded like it came from very far away. What do you desire? I felt my heart beating in throughout every part of my body. The hair was now standing straight up all over my body, with what felt like a constant shiver. I thought that I shouldn't stall, or keep this voice waiting. I blurted out my answer. Life, I said, managing to get out the words with a choke. Again, for what felt like a minute, nothing. Just pure darkness and feeling utter terror from what was happening. I couldn't move. I chose not to, not even an inch. Then bring me blood, it said. I didn't mean to, but mixed with terror and my eyes being so dry, I shut them quickly to blink and process what just happened. I saw the cement wall. My basement seemed to be back to normal. I ran up to my room and shut the door as fast as I could. Somehow, an hour went by from when I started speaking to my pentagram, to now. How can I process what just happened? I am almost a grown man, freaked out under my covers from something I just heard in my basement, I feel pathetic but I heard a voice, in a dark abyss, asking for blood. What blood? Whose blood? These questions are running around in my mind right now. 
If I give my pentagram blood, what will happen? Will I get what I asked? Will it now take my life if I don't? I need to get this thing blood. I'll update tomorrow. The next post from PKMN Jaguar is titled No one goes out on Thanksgiving. You ever go out on Thanksgiving and notice there's hardly any cars? It's because they know something you don't know. See we people who truly celebrate Thanksgiving are aware of the ceremony. One of those poor souls who wander outside of the protective walls of their home will regret it. Wanna know how I found out? I moved to a new town a few years back with my family, job transfer. My family growing up was from the coast and had a more casual approach to holidays. We weren't religious or anything, so we just took it as a day off. Never put up any decorations or did any traditions. Usually had meals separately. I took this mentality to this new town, and on my first Thanksgiving I had an experience that made me a believer. I had slept in Thursday morning as I do on holidays. Had a coffee around one in the afternoon, and realized I ran out of cream. I figured if I'm gonna go to the store, I might as well make a list. I put together a few items I wanted, snacks and alcohol, and around 1.45 got in my car to head out. As I drove through the streets I vaguely noticed how few cars were out. Must be a country town. But as I kept going, I noticed it more and something put me at unease. There was a silence to the air, a dead thick silence. Like my car engine was the only thing that moved for miles and miles around. It wasn't that there weren't cars out, it was that there wasn't a single car, walker, dog, or bird. I arrived at the grocery store, but it was unsurprisingly closed. My footsteps seemed to echo in the empty parking lot as I walked back to my car. I gave it up as a bad cause, and started driving back home. There was a bit of panic as I drove back, as I really wanted to get out of this oppressive quiet. Get safely behind my doors. Protected. I was about three quarters of the way home, the dread building in my stomach. When I saw something that made my heart leap. Another driver in the lane next to me caught up at a red light. We made eye contact and for a moment I began to smile and then I realized his face was a mask of sheer horror. A shadow rolled over both of our cars and the street. A moment. A heartbeat. That's all it took for an enormous set of golden yellow beaks to close around the stranger's entire car, along with a bit of the road. The next moment it flew back up to the sky. I put the gas pedal through the floor as my car peeled out and jumped through the intersection. From behind me I heard a sky shattering, G-O-O-O-O-O-B-L-G-O-B-L-G-O-B-L. I thought it was all over. I actually closed my eyes while flying down the road because I had accepted my fate. After a few seconds I opened my eyes and I was still at the stoplight. My engine was calmly humming, there was no crater next to me, and the light changed to green. My muscle memory kicked in and I drove home without feeling, without thinking. Had it all been a daydream? Not possible. I had been drenched in sweat, but I was dry. I didn't sleep that night. I kept hearing that throat-gurgling sound echoing through my skull all night. In the morning when I arrived at work there they all were, my co-workers bustling about their day. I couldn't help staring at everyone until they gave me a creeped out look. At lunch I broke. I stood on the break room table and shouted about what happened to me the day before, like a madman. When I was done there was a silence, not full of fear but awkwardness, embarrassment. I slowly climbed off the table, dusted of some of the food stuck to my shoes, and walked slowly out of the room. But one of the men took pity on me and pulled me to the side by the vending machines in a small hallway. You're new around here, so I'll sort you out. Around here we celebrate Thanksgiving. We count our blessing at home with our families and enjoy a nice meal. And we don't. Go. Out. 
Our thankful one watches over us on Thanksgiving so we can be sure to remember our thanks. And lest one of us goes astray and ventures outside, they will be met with the thankful one and he will judge them. You are lucky to be here, be thankful, for after the thankful one judges, he will not judge another until next Thanksgiving. I just nodded as I realized that I am now under the thankful one's watchful gaze. Every Thanksgiving since then I have observed it faithfully. I'm thankful for the thankful one. May he watch over all of you this day. The next post from Cameron found is titled Should I feel as guilty as I do? It's kind of weird being all alone in a house that isn't yours. Despite having lived in this particular house for a large part of my life, I felt the weirdness fully. It would give Uncle Seth a laugh to see me back here again. I'd delayed as long as I could, but there was no avoiding it anymore. The only relative I had with a sense of humor was dead. Heart attack just outside, before he could get to his car. Or his phone. His death echoed dad's. I'd been five, asking to meet my uncle. So he'd gone to see his brother after 15 years of radio silence. Uncle Seth said he never made it to the door. The house did not change. Uncle Seth liked things the way they were, stubborn about even the smallest details. He didn't like strangers in his place, myself an exception. The thick curtains were dustier than I'd left them. The fridge wasn't as stuffed as I remembered, though, that had been for my sake. A portrait of Uncle Seth's wife and two children remained in the living room. The basement contained stacks of boxes even on the stairs. On the first floor, one closet hid more boxes. They were from Uncle Seth's original home, the home he grew up in with Dad. Things he couldn't throw away but didn't want to unbox and deal with, either. That would be up to me now. Well, tomorrow. I was exhausted. I'd put it off this long. What was one more day? The rattling front door woke me where I'd fallen asleep, and I slid from the couch onto my knees, palm flat over my racing heart. After I shoved my sneakers out of sight and made sure my phone was still in my pocket, I hurried down the dark hallway. Grabbing a door I'd left open, I shut myself inside just as a groan came from the entrance. They were in the house. Watch the clock, a voice snapped as a brief light hit the crack under the door. Sweep and run. No mistakes. Heavy footsteps were moving closer. I clamped my hands over my mouth to muffle my breathing, the sound of it too loud in my ears. I'd chosen the wrong door. The closet with all the damn boxes. In a panicked rush, I squeezed myself through the gaps, thanking mom's side for my smallness, until I hit free air. I had to keep moving. What if they tried to open a few of the boxes to see if there was anything valuable inside? I called 911, stammering out the address, and soon sirens could be heard in the distance. Yet I couldn't seem to feel any relief. It wasn't a closet I'd found. More like a hallway that had been blocked. The wall smelled damp and gross, and bile threatened to erupt. As the sirens grew louder, I risked switching on my phone's flashlight to look for an escape. But it was a dead end. Literally, three emaciated bodies, chained to the floor. Uncle Seth's family, long presumed dead, appeared to finally be at rest. The next post from One Scared Gay is titled The Midnight Snack. The thunder rumbled outside. Andrew bolted upright in his bed, his bare chest covered in sweat. The room was humid, his satin sheets clung to his thin body as he rolled out of bed. He stumbled over to the window and flung it open as the rain danced around on the pavement below. He turned around and started to head back to bed when he heard a loud crash come from downstairs. He walked over to his bedside table and picked up his phone as the clock switched over to 10.56pm. Andrew slid his lock screen open and turned on his flashlight, he slowly made his way down the creaky stairs. 
He walked past his parents' room and peered inside, it was empty, he walked into the bathroom and tried to turn on the light, but the storm must have knocked out the power. He glanced up at the light on the ceiling to see the light bulbs were broken and he trailed his eye down the wall to the sink where there was broken glass. He thought it was strange but figured his dad had put it there to clean up in the morning. Lighting then lit up the room and chills crawled up Andrews's spine. Andrew hated storms since he was nine years old when he visited his grandparents' farm, he was staying with them for the summer helping them fix the place up. But that summer a tornado came through and wrecked the whole place, Andrew and his grandparents hid in the cellar as the storm raged on upstairs. After the tornado passed Andrew went home and hasn't been back to the farm since. It's been seven years, but he still has nightmares sometimes the wailing of the wind was haunting. Andrew finally made his way to the first floor and started looking for his parents. Mom, Dad, Andrew asked the darkness with no reply. He walked into the living room. Only the moon illuminated the room, the sliding glass door was ajar, a puddle of water had built up in the carpet. Andrew walked over and shut the door. As the door shut a loud bang came from the kitchen making him jump. Andrew slowly made his way to the kitchen, his bare feet dug into the carpet as he made his way closer. As he turned the corner the light from the fridge lit up the kitchen, but the walls seemed darker than usual they usually had a soft yellow paint on the walls but now they seemed dark red, the room smelled of iron and Andrew stepped forward and his flashlight beamed through the darkness to see what had been making the noises. There crouching down in front of the fridge was what looked like an elderly woman, she was thin and wrinkles formed all around her body, she was bony and her straggly hair was down in her face. Andrew froze. He tried to slowly back up as he stepped on something wet and it squashed under his foot. He looked down to see a human tongue tucked under his foot. He jerked back and his light flashed into a corner of the kitchen where he sees his father's body ripped apart all over the kitchen. He looked down at what the woman had been eating, it was his mother, Andrew dropped his phone and the room went black. He fumbled for his phone in the darkness and when he found it, he turned on the light and held it out in front of him. The creature was gone. He slowly turned to his right and came face to face with the creature. Andrew let out a scream and pushed the creature backward the old woman slammed into the kitchen table, and Andrew ran for the door, he flung it open and just ran out into the storm. The next post from Grand Theft Motto is titled The Paintings in My Attic Change Every Night. My father died alone early on an August morning. I was told that they found him in the backyard in the process of chopping down a small elm tree. A heart attack. The woman who called me from the hospital was gentle, even compassionate. I guess she figured the news would upset me. She seemed surprised when I sighed and asked if there was anything I needed to do. I didn't realize that my dad had me listed as his emergency contact. It didn't seem fair that I didn't have a say in the matter. I received another unexpected call a few days later. This time it was from dad's lawyer. It turned out my father left me his house, six acres in the country, and nearly a quarter million dollars. The man who used to beat me if I got a C on my report card left me all of his worldly possessions. I guess I was all he had. Can I say no? I asked the lawyer. Of course. But you should see the house first. And the art collection. At the very least you can sell everything and be done with it, if that's what you want to do. So I visited the home my father left me. Inside of the house was an attic, and inside of the attic was a collection of paintings. There were watercolors and oils and acrylics. Portraits of kings and carpenters and old women with folded hands. Landscapes, vivid forests in bright oil so real you almost hear the birds. My favorite painting was of a girl by the ocean. Her hair was like sunshine and her white dress tangled with the wind. She faced away from the artist towards the water. 
there was only one painting I avoided. It stood in the corner of the room on a white easel covered with a black cloth. I only looked under the covering once. It was a portrait of my father but more terrible than he'd ever been in life. The thing in the painting resembled my father in the same way a drowned corpse resembles the life that once animated the body. His skin was sallow, teeth cracked, pale black veins twisting across a bare scalp. The artist must have feared my father. I could see no other reason the painter would have left the portrait with such a ravenous expression of hate. One look behind the curtain was enough for me. I left that portrait in its corner. Other than that piece of rot, though, the collection as a whole was a miracle. I spent so many rainy afternoons and cold mornings in the attic among the pictures that it was immediately obvious to me when the subjects began to move. It was subtle, at first, eyes might shift in a portrait, a tree would rustle against an acrylic breeze. The girl on the beach was turning a degree or two each day. I was terrified the first night that I heard movement from the attic. The rapid sound of tap 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 and soft footsteps along the ceiling woke me up. It lasted all night and I sat there and listened, too frozen by fear to flee the house. In the morning after the sun was high, I crept up the stairs into the attic armed with a flashlight and the largest knife I could find in the kitchen. Both the light and the knife fell from numb fingers when I saw that every painting had changed. This wasn't just the shifting of a scene by a few angles. It was like seeing new pictures but each with familiar subjects. The night sounds continued regularly from then on. I wasn't so afraid after the first time, though, and greeted each new morning with a trip into the attic to see the progress of my guests. Roommates. It was a long night in October when I finally saw the face of the girl in the painting. I'd gone up to the attic with a candle after dinner to check on the progress of the paintings. In my dreams, they came fully to life and joined me or perhaps even better, allowed me to join them in their kaleidoscope worlds. The girl on the beach was facing me that night. Her hand was raised slightly, as if in greeting. Everything changed last night. The noises began just after sundown and they were unlike any I'd heard before. Thudding and crashing and ripping. There was a terrible dragging noise that repeated again and again. Sometime around midnight, I think I heard a scream. Though I once again felt pinned to my bed by fear, I decided I could not wait until morning to see how the paintings had changed. I worked up the courage to climb the stairs at three in the morning. Once I opened the door to the attic, my eyes found a massacre. All of the beautiful paintings were torn as if by animals. The canvas hung in wet tatters, frames were smashed, and everywhere, violence. Only the painting of the girl on the beach was undamaged. But to my horror, it was changed. The girl lay dead on the red-stained sand, her eyes blank and throat ripped open. I heard a brittle creak from the corner of the room. It took me a moment to realize that it was laughter and it came from behind, the black curtain that covered my father's portrait. Link. The next post from Legacy of Potato is titled One of my art students had a strange talent. Dot. Before I start, I just want to apologize if I do something wrong. I'm a bit old, and I can't keep up with all of this new technology. But I heard this was a place to share scary stories, and the story I have to tell is definitely scary. I have had hundreds of students in my 30 years as a high school art teacher. Most of them were unremarkable, ordinary teens whose names I can't even remember. I can't say the same about Mary, though. Mary was short and kind of pudgy. She wore thick glasses, and had acne on her face. She always had this, deer in headlights, look on her face, and was always looking down at the ground. It was like there was a, kick me, signed super glued on her back. As you might have guessed, she was a target of her classmates' bullying. Before you say anything, I did try to do something about it, 
but I was ignored both by my co-workers and by Mary's classmates. Mary had a real passion for art, especially painting. I can still remember the way her face lit up whenever she moved the brush across the canvas. She was very good at it too, though she didn't know it. It broke my heart to hear people insult her work, but it was even more heartbreaking when she was one of those people. But that's not why I remember her so vividly. See, Mary had a talent. A talent I hope to God nobody else has. I remember the day I found out about it. The way she came to see me at lunch with that sparkle in her eyes. I think this was the first time I ever saw her looking genuinely happy. I have something to show you, she whispered. She led me to a storage closet and pulled out a piece of paper, which she had drawn a stickman on. She sat down, putting the paper in front of her. She started to move her hands over the paper, whispering something, looking like she was in a trance nobody could break. Look at the paper, she whispered. I could make out the faintest movement from the stickman. It moved slowly but steadily, crawling its way out of the paper. Mary moved her hand to the right. The stickman moved to the right. She kept moving her hands around, and the stickman followed her every move, letting her guide it. There was no way this could be real. I stood there, staring at her, unable to move or say anything. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I couldn't help but feel a pang of fear. I knew she was a nice girl, and that she'd never hurt anyone, but she was bullied a lot, and even the nicest people could snap. I think she must have sensed my fear, because she looked hurt, even after I told her that this ability was amazing and how impressed I was. I couldn't get it out of my head for the whole day. The way she made that thing move, it was incredible. Like magic. No, it was magic. And she trusted me enough to show me. God, I remember feeling so loved at that moment. Looking back, I was lucky to be on her good side. The next day, as soon as I entered, I heard an ear-splitting, high-pitched scream echo through the corridors. It was coming from the second floor. Mary's classroom, to be precise. I dashed in, panicked, trying to see what was going on. I stifled a scream when I saw it. In the center of the classroom was a giant black mass. It looked like it was made out of angry, wild scribbles. All the students were huddled into one corner of the room. Some were clinging to one another, others were screaming, and others were just quietly sobbing. Others ran out. Those were the ones that survived. Everyone looked terrified, except Mary. Mary was standing at the front of the classroom with a smug grin on her face. The air of powerlessness she usually had about her was gone. I never noticed how odd she looked without it. She outstretched her arm. The black mass lunged at the students. It sucked him in. They all became one with it, losing their shape until they were merged with the darkness. She stood there, taking deep breaths, that unhinged grin still on her face. She started laughing. It started out as slight giggles, then gradually turned into maniacal, grand laughter. I remember being surprised at just how happy she sounded. Then she noticed me. We made eye contact for a few seconds. I took a step back, my breath short and shallow. Then she said, in a much too gleeful voice, I guess they won't be bothering me, anymore. Link. The next post from Fisherman Tales is titled Stay Away from Count Von Duke's Bed and Breakfast. I want to suck your blood. I grimaced at the proclamation. Gross. Count Von Duke huffed and his shoulders slumped. Please, dude, no. Go suck somebody else's blood. I turned to climb the stairs and then stopped. Shit. I can't remember. My room is up the stairs and to the right, yeah? I will tell you, for a small fee. Never mind. I rolled my eyes. I'll find it myself. Count von Duke laughed menacingly as I ascended further up the stairs. You will find that your room is not on the right. 
Lightning flashed, followed by a quake of thunder. But rather, to the left. I paused at the top of the stairs and looked down the right side hallway. I recognize where I'm at now. It's on the right. Count von Duck perked up. Oh, well, I meant my left, which would be your right. Uh-huh, I said as I continued into my room. I'd really like to suck that. I shut the door and promptly locked it. What a weirdo, I muttered to myself. And in that precise moment, there was a knocking at the door. I spun around, startled. Who is it? It is I, the Count. How do you get up here so fast? There was a momentary pause before he answered. I took the steps two at a time. I did the math in my head. Still seems unnaturally quick. It is my shoes. They are designed for superior athleticism. What kind of shoes? They are of the basketball variety. Behold, I stood close to the door, listening as the Count's shoes squeaked down the hall, along with the whipping sound of his cape. I snorted at the absurdity of it, then flinched as there was a sudden crashing of glass behind me. A little black bat whizzed from the broken window, towards me, and slammed hard against the wall. Holy shit, I gasped. I hesitated a moment and then knelt down to look at the creature, which lay motionless on the floor. But as I reached out to give it a gentle poke, the bat began to morph into something larger, and in a blink, it had become Count Von Duck. Gar, he cried, his nose broken and bloody. What the hell just happened? I came in too fast. He shouted through cupped hands as he stood up and propped himself against the wall. You were a bat. The Count sighed and removed his hands from his face, revealing bloodied fangs beneath a crooked nose. He lunged at my throat with his opened mouth, sneakers squeaking as he moved. I dove out of the way in the nick time. He squeaked right past me and collided with another wall. You're not getting a single sip of my blood, Von Duck. He spun around wild-eyed. I will drain you of every ounce of. I chucked a piece of garlic at the Count and he immediately recoiled and hissed. Why did you have that in your pocket? I shrugged. The Count appeared to be experiencing great anxiety as he glared at the small piece of garlic laying near his feet. Oh, dear God, please, just get it away from me. Um, no. I raced for the door, suitcase in hand. I won't suck your blood, I swear. Don't believe you. I rushed down the stairs and out the centuries-old castle, right as a final squeak of Count Von Duck's sneaker could be heard. Link. Today's last post from Scorpwee is titled I managed to recover old call records from my county's police database. I'm worried to step outside now. Dot. August 2021. Emergency operations, digital call log 1 Whitaker County audio transcription 11.02pm to 11.47pm, operator greater than 911, what is your emergency cut off by caller, caller greater than, there's someone outside my driveway, standing on the curb. He's got some sort of object held with his right hand by his head, and a long blade in his left hand. Operator greater than, are you alone right now? Caller greater than, W what? Yes, my family had gone out for bowling, I stayed back. Operator greater than, help is on the way, are you injured? Caller greater than, yes, I recently sustained a gunshot to the left leg and cannot move without assistance. Operator greater than, what is the man doing? Caller greater than, he's just standing there, it's too dark to make out anything specific. I can hardly tell that he's holding a blade, besides the shape. Operator greater than, what is your location? Caller greater than, 1893 Baker Street, why, cut off by operator. Operator greater than, no, what is your location inside the house? Caller greater than, what? I'm in the kitchen. Operator greater than, are you able to defend yourself with any sort of weapon? Caller greater than, there's knives on the counter, but I'm too scared to move. 
I'm keeping my eyes on the man, I don't want to lose sight. Operator greater than do not grab a weapon, he could know. Move to the second floor, keep your eye on the figure. Make sure you turn off the lights beforehand. Call a greater than, okay. Operator greater than, help is less than five minutes away. Keep your calm, as you move. Call a greater than, I'm shaking, my crutches feel like they could buckle. Operator greater than, keep calm, breathe. Has the man moved from his previous position? Call a greater than, no, he's still staring. Operator greater than, keep moving, slowly. Call a greater than, oh fuck. Operator greater than, what is the situation? Call a greater than, he was moving, he just stopped. He's further up the driveway now. Operator greater than, have you reached the second floor? Call a greater than, no, I'm keeping my eye on him still. I can't move any further without losing sight. Operator greater than, are the doors in your house locked? Call a greater than, no. Operator greater than, how about the windows? Call a greater than, I don't think so, fuck. When are the police getting here? He's locked eyes at this point. Operator greater than, they will be here soon. Stay on the line, you stated an object was near his head. Can you make it out? Call a greater than, n no, it looks almost square. It's too dark to make out anything. Operator greater than, you need to move away from all points of entry and to the next floor. Call a greater than, I'll lose sight, I'm scared. Operator greater than, breathe, it'll be over soon. Call a greater than, I guess sir, I'm moving. Call a greater than, I'm almost at the stairs, I can't see the man anymore. Operator greater than, it's okay, the police are arriving soon. You need to get to a safer location. Call a greater than, I would hope they are arriving soon, it's been almost 10 minutes. Call a greater than, holy shit, the door just opened. I heard it, I heard it open. Operator greater than, are you upstairs? Call a greater than, yes. I can hear noises down below. Sounds like a man's voice. Operator greater than, where are you on the second floor? Call a greater than, the closet. Operator greater than, in the hallway, or inside the master bedroom. Call a greater than, hallway. Operator greater than, good. Do why? Cut off by caller, call a greater than, how w do you know I have two separate closets? Shit. I hear footsteps, where are the cops? Operator greater than, do you recognize them individual outside your closet?